you also got to be really disciplined as a leader to, to be out talking to your people and to, to really see what they're doing. I still need to get better at that and our people still need to get better at it. But at the end of the day, it is, it is people that make all these things go and, and people matter. So it's pretty simple. This is Lead with Culture. I am Kate Volman, and on this episode, we're talking about strategies to create a coaching culture with trust and open communication. We all know how important communication is in an organization, but so many leaders aren't being intentional around putting processes in place to foster better communication. Statistics show that 86% of employees and executives cite the lack of effective collaboration and communication as the main cause for workplace failures. My guest today shares some really great ways that he and his team are creating spaces for people to foster effective communication, share their ideas, and grow together. Adam Smith is the president of HB McClure. He has transferred skills learned from being raised on a dairy farm and from a long wrestling career to the business world. Please enjoy my conversation with Adam. So we uh, have an opportunity to work together. Obviously, you have a dream manager, and I get to serve as the dream manager for some of your people, which right off the bat obviously showcases that you believe in culture. You make culture a priority over at H.B. McClure. So before we kind of dig into everything, I wanted to hear your perspective on how do you view culture? Like, how would you define culture and why do you feel like it's important in your organization? Yeah, I think from a definition perspective, I view culture as a shared vision of the future. That includes what the future looks like. And it also includes, you know, those behaviors and those, those actions that are required to, to actually get to that, that future. And in terms of how important culture is, if you don't have that, as particularly as you scale a business, it becomes more and more challenging to keep everyone moving in the same direction and and really just to try to maintain efficiency and also maintain a cohesive group of of employees that are working towards the future. I love the simplicity of your definition. Over the past few years, especially, obviously, there's been a lot going on in the world and leaders have had a lot of challenges, more so than we typically do. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've been facing over the past few years when it comes to growing H.B. McClure? I believe I was in, in Colorado when everything kind of shut down. So starting with that weekend, moving through those first three to six weeks, the world looked pretty different. And the activities really you know, went from day-to-day business activities to really just dumping that on its head and just trying to create a little bit of certainty through chaos, right? So that was something that, that I, most of us haven't gone through something similar to that. And then over the next year and even still moving into each day now, it's just being consistent with your approach with your people. It's communicating in an uncertain environment trying to communicate confidence and trying to just make the best decisions for your people in your business, which, you know, at times can be really a bit of a slippy slope. But at the end of the day, what's right for your people is ultimately going to be right for your business. And, and 
from a simplicity perspective, we've tried to maintain, you know, keeping that simple. I think supply chain and inflation has impacted our business. I want to say differently, but it's definitely impacted our business. So that's been one of the challenges. And then it's also impacted the labor environment. So it's added a lot of pressure to wages. So it's, it's changed the game there. And we've just had to make sure we're open to pivoting and open to changing the way that we're managing our business, the way that we're creating value for our business and the way that, that we're empowering our people to add value as well. So is there a particular time, Adam, and you're kind of describing like the whole shutdown, COVID-19, when all that stuff was happening, is there a particular time in this journey of really helping the team, making sure they know what's going on, feeling like you can be transparent as a leader when we're obviously dealing with the unknown, which, I mean, really, we're always kind of dealing with the unknown, right? But is there a specific time in your, in your role where you kind of felt oh my gosh, I got to figure this out. Like how, how did you decide to make decisions, you, your leadership team on the direction of the company, the communication of the team? The unique thing about HB McClure and HB Global is HB McClure started in 1914. And in 2008 was the first time that someone outside the family of the McClure family actually was leading the business. So Bob Whalen came into the company and uh, was entering a, a six-year transition to majority ownership, and then the downturn hits. So that happened, and then really Bob looked at uh, an ESOP as a faster way to transition ownership of the company. And I think at the time, it didn't really have this grand vision of changing the world through employee ownership, but it's really evolved to that. So jumping forward now you know I, I was not in my current role in 2020 i was leading our service business which was about you know 130 employees at the time what i would say about kind of that pivotal moment is everything was happening in march of 2020 and bob came out and committed to the company pre ppp really wildly in the face of uncertainty and committed to our people that we know this is tough, but here's what we're committed to do from a layoff perspective. We're going to make you whole. We're going to prepay bonuses and we're going to do all these things from a monetary perspective, but then also from a communication perspective that really added stability to our people who were going through a really tough time. So that, that was really shaping the vision for me, you know, for me at the time leading, you know, just a department to you know, a little over a year ago since I came into my new role of just being bold in the face of uncertainty and being willing to communicate with transparency and not not hiding anything that's that's going extremely well or extremely poorly, being open to that. And I think that's something that's that's really evolved over time. And in 2015, we were working with a great game of business for open book management system and while we're not we haven't worked with with the great game for a couple of years we do have our own style of open book management and it's really around transparency which we believe creates trust within our organization which is really our number one core value so i think transparency communication you know working really hard at trying to make the right calls that, that are right for your people and right for the business 
and consistently doing what you say you're going to do. And with 265 employees and with Global having over 2,200 employees, obviously it's really hard to have a personal relationship on a day-to-day basis with every single employee. So it's about empowering your leaders so that they're aligned with the mission, vision, core values, aligned with kind of my style of leadership, but still in a way that's autonomous to them, but knowing that they have to create their own cohesive team and they have to communicate, they have to be aligned with the mission, vision, core values. I love that you said being bold in the face of uncertainty. In today's world, there is a lack of bold leadership. (laughs) There is a lack of people that are really willing to kind of put that stake and and move forward and feel like they can really be bold in their leadership and, and be okay with having uncomfortable conversations, making those tough decisions. That's what happens when you're in those leadership roles. So you as a leader, as you are coaching your people, what do you find are some ways that you have been able to become more of a coaching leader so that you can build, create that boldness, not only for yourself, but other people in the organization? Yeah, it's a great question. So one of the other, and it's it's not really that employee voice didn't matter pre-COVID, but it's something that that we've identified as as being really important moving forward is is the idea of employee voice and it's that culture of feedback. So a couple of things that we've done is you know, our leadership team has sitting around the table talking about, hey, we need to make this decision. This is going to impact these this group of people and maybe not this group. And really, you know, I had one of our leaders kind of stand up and be like, hey, we're talking about this with really no input from the people who we're impacting, right? So we ended up creating what we call voice of the field. We took volunteers, we communicated to the organization, hey, this is what we're trying to accomplish. We're trying to create a feedback, a more direct feedback loop from our field employees directly to the leadership team. So it started with three people and it was one from each department and it quickly grew to six. And and now we're on our second run through. We're running six months sessions essentially. So it's monthly for six months. And uh, it's really been pretty eye-opening, I think, both for our field employees and for the leadership team. But it's just opening a conversation with them to help them understand the things that we're working on, the challenges that we're having, and then kind of hearing the same thing from our field employees. And then that group from that committee is really, their main charter then is is being that liaison to the field, helping them understand what's going on. And you know, we certainly haven't fully shown up there, but it's really headed in the right direction. And that's just kind of one example we're starting right now a women's affinity group. It's around, we want more women in our business. We want more minorities in our business. So how, how do we do it? Well, we can just talk about it or we can actually make a change that, that helps women or minorities feel, feel empowered to be in our business, feel empowered to make decisions and different things like that improve employee voice. And they're also really exciting from a culture perspective. And then they, they matter and they change our business. And you have to be open to, to hearing different perspectives. 
and you have to be open to really tough feedback and those tough conversations that you mentioned. But uh, it's been a really, really fun experience going through those and seeing some of our field employees be like, you know, they kind of look at you and they're like, they're asking really great questions and then they see something from a different perspective and then you see that going both ways and it's, it's been really impactful. I think that's so great that you, that you gave them that opportunity. And the first thing I thought of was, you know, a lot of times when, when people implement something like that, the first thing that the team members think is, what is this about? What is, is this just going to be another meeting? Is the leadership really going to listen to us? Are there really going to be changes? So talk mm -hmm. about the conversations, especially in the beginning, if someone's thinking, oh, I might want to implement something like that in my organization. What, what was that like? How did you structure it? How did you get those first three people and then six people? And then what are those discussions look like? We are also an EOS company. So that's the entrepreneurial operating system. And so with the EOS model, there are weekly meetings with a weekly cadence of how you run the meetings. And really the, the meat of the EOS model is this whole IDS, which is identify, discuss, and solve. And at any moment, you can be throwing things on that list, right, of things to discuss. So what we have is what we call an opportunities list for the Voice of the Field Committee where any member, whether it's leadership team or the field, can be throwing you know, opportunities or issues onto that list to discuss when the month comes around. And admittedly, I would say what I'd like to see more of is more dialogue through the month. And we've actually had that, you know, but it is an evolution. And that's the thing that, you know, to, to be a little bit cliche, but it, it really makes a lot of sense, is not, not allowing perfection to be enemy of progress. Right. And so that's what we're trying to accomplish after we actually share our goals for the quarter and our goals for the year with that group of field members. We share the different where where we can from a confidentiality perspective. There's a couple of things that we that we're working through that we don't talk about. And we actually have the confidentiality conversation as well, not only with the things that the leadership team talks about, but also with that group. So we're providing a great deal of trust in that team to maintain that. There are things that we'll talk about that may be off limits to talk about with the field. And that's, that's one of the responsibilities of, of those team members. What the conversations look like is the expectation is whenever they come to that meeting, the fourth Wednesday of every month, that they have the top three ideas in mind, the ideas or opportunities that they want to discuss. They're supposed to look through the list, which that list right now is about 20 items long. So it's really up to the team members to decide which areas are the most important things that we're going to talk about. And I think we're getting a much more efficient and it takes a meeting or two to get new team members on board with kind of understanding that cadence. But uh, that's how we structure it. And I mean, we've talked about things like the wage pressures that, that we're going through. We did a complete overhaul of our, you know, the way we compensate in terms of base wage and bonus, we've delivered a ton of communication around what we're viewing as market catch-up. So we did a cross-the-board increase. We did a market catch-up. We go through the merit increases every year because we've acquired a couple of companies. Everyone doesn't really understand or view it the same way. So we're trying to create some consistency around that. So this has been a great, great way to communicate those messages as well because we have an employee from each location within our business. 
So then they can kind of hear that and then, then take that back to their teams. It's been a really great way to provide input and to hear their feedback to say, hey, you know, we're thinking about this and we're sharing some numbers and we're sharing thoughts and realities of what we're facing and getting their feedback. It, it's been really a, a great experience to go through that with the team. But it really has become the, the voice of the field. And, and again, it's not perfect, but it's, I feel really good, much better than I did eight months ago before we started it with the amount of information that's going to the field and coming back to the leadership team as a result of, of these meetings. Yeah, you're fostering this culture of communication, open dialogue, where people feel like they can actually voice their concerns on the things that are happening in the organization and that there is potential for things to be fixed. And, yeah. and that's what I love so much, especially in organizations where they have a lot of different layers. There's people that are in one area of the business where the, the leadership team might not really understand the frustrations or challenges. And so when you give them that opportunity to come together and talk about those challenges, then everyone knows what's going on. And it could be the smallest, easiest fixes. That's what I love so much is that when yeah. you're opening dialogue, there are things that can be easily changed that would make the culture that much better and the people that much happier. It's funny you talk about the small changes. So we do monthly communication on our results as well. That's part of the transparency that, that we're, you know, utilizing. And we share numbers in a way that, hey, you know, this is what we're doing relative to budget. And, you know, this is what we're creating. And this is what we're creating per division. And uh, one of the areas is like, couldn't we just do that with pictures? <laughs> so very quickly, my communication switched from a, a summary paragraph of what we've done to just graphs, pictures of graphs of what, what we've done per division. Again, it's something that's really small, but it, it came from the first conversation. So Tracking those changes is also pretty interesting. So we have another bucket on our Teams page that has all the things that we've kind of discussed and something like we have our remote field service training for, that's our ERP that our technicians are using. They're like, well, I don't know who to talk to if, if I have a problem, you know, so that's on us. And we have the people that can help you or help our team members, but just showing them that information and then sharing it with the team. Like, hey, this is actually the point of contact. Like, yeah, this person can be helpful, but, you know, this is the person that's responsible for this. And, okay, now that we know this, now we've actually identified a single person that, that the group, hey, this is the go-to. So that things like that also come from the group. I would love to touch a little bit on the ESOP and the decision to become an employee-owned company. Not only that decision, but then you know, how that impacted the employees. I can imagine it's, it's an interesting process to go through. Yeah. And we're still going through it. <laughs> so I have a lot to say about ESOPs and I have a lot to say about, about our evolution. And Bob is really the main visionary of how this started. So my first thing with ESOPs is just becoming an ESOP alone is really not going to create this amazing culture of employee ownership and employee voice and employee wealth and having every single employee view themselves as an owner and be able to take ownership of their challenges and feel like they're going to impact the future. Like it doesn't work that way. You mean it's right? not like the magic bullet to just making culture and everyone happy? <laughs> yeah, it'd be awesome if it, if it was, but you know, that that's, 
not the case, and we're still working through that. I mentioned that Bob really didn't have this vision, which our current vision is really changing our business model, like the traditional business model of in the U.S. to change that through employee ownership towards one that has everything that I just said, that has the employee voice, that has leaders that that work autonomously, that's not all top down, that's bottom up, forward thinking, that's open to to tough feedback, that's open to crazy ideas, that uh, whether it's the new apprentice that just started last week or a field supervisor or a vice president, it doesn't really matter what level you are through the organization, that you believe that your actions impact the future. So jumping back to 2010, again, that, that was another trying time. Construction was really struggling at, at that point. You know, not, not just, you know, I'm responsible for the commercial side of the business, but residential construction was, was struggling, whereas the service side of our business was, was doing pretty well, but still uncertain, right, at the time. Bob was in his second year of, of the transition, and with the results, clearly there's a very big tax savings with, with becoming an ESOP. So transparency and, and candid you know, discussion here, that was really the, the focus early on, is just a faster way to transition the company. There's significant tax savings to, to being an ESOP. It still is expensive to become an ESOP, but Bob felt like that was the right decision at that time. And then it really aligned, I think, with his vision of how businesses can run and, and not viewing the world like, hey, you know, whatever somebody in a, in a C-suite tells you, that's what you have to do. That, that is not his vision of how companies run. And I think he had been in situations like that, and it's not really his desired state. So I think that was really the start of the evolution over the last 12 years to where we've come to now. And I remember in 2010 when, when we became employee-owned and the original conversation around, hey, you know, I own it now. I'm an owner and, you know, you're going to do this because I told you and I'm an owner, you know. And it was kind of like, <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly that. So it's really helping people understand what it is and then going through those first couple of years of, of distributions, you know, where those shares are being allocated and, and getting into employees' hands and they're seeing like, hey, you know, it's 3,000 here, it's 5,000 here. That's not super exciting. It's not really my money. It's not real. It's not like a 401k. So over time and through some pretty impressive results, we have employees who have been here since 2010 who, you know, have significant retirements built up, which ESOPs are really ownership of the company in the form of a retirement plan. And we have frontline employees that have close to $300,000 in their accounts and, and in that time period. And that's really, really exciting for us. You try to communicate as much as you can about that wealth not being created in one year or five years or even 10 years that it's really over the long run, similar to your 401k. We've benchmarked our results relative to 401k performance or you know the S&P 500, and that's been really exciting, but we've never gone down. So eventually we will go down, right? So it's more about the long run. So we're, we're getting through all of that and trying to communicate as much as we can. We have the Employee Ownership Education Committee. We've done a lot of different 
events. We've done things like a core value award that again, okay, you're not really educating on ESOPs necessarily, but you are creating awareness around your core values and showing that we want to acknowledge and reward and manage to these core values. But we're doing a core value game where essentially employees in the organization can nominate an employee for exhibiting a core value of that quarter. So we have four core values, so we do one per quarter. So we did this all last year. We're doing it again this year. And we've had some really awesome stories come through as a result of that game that, again, trust is our number one core value. It's tough because we have four core values. Always look at trust. Like if you don't have trust, you're probably not going to have the rest. So it's trust, team, great, and growth. So we always talk about trust as our foundational core value. But started with that. We had an employee in the office who, who was nominated. The education committee for our ESOP views these without names and and votes on the stories. So that's that's essentially it's pretty simple, but that's how we vote on the winners. So we were excited this first time. We ended up voting for a 25-year employee who is our senior engineer, who literally that morning I had a conversation with one of our tight partners within the community with one of our general contractors. And they were just talking about George Peters as this guy who, you know, man, of all things with George, we trust this guy. You know, he's smart and he does all these things, but we really trust him. And then we have the core value game for trust. He wins it. And then immediately after I tell him, hey, we've got this $1,000 check for you. He's like, well, I'm not going to take that. I want to do something for the field. Well, what we decided is we throw a pizza party for the entire company on his behalf. So that was a really cool story. It was a little bit of a, you know, we don't expect everyone to forego their their check that they receive. <laughs> but we've had some really cool stories like that. We've had three employees win, win these last three quarters and it's been really exciting and there's been some energy from there. But uh, that was a little bit of a tangent on the, the core value game, but it's still aligned with the type of culture that we're trying to create through the ESOP. I think that's such a great way for any organization to recognize their people. I love the fact that they are voted just by the story and you don't even know the person. I think that's awesome to kind of keep it anonymous until you yeah. get to to see. And that's a great way to recognize team members and how awesome to, to see that one of the people that wins just cares so much about the other people on the team that they want to do cool. what's good. So I feel like that just creates that culture. It's less about the award, more about just this opportunity to give people that recognition. And it's not just from one or two people, it's from a group of people. That's a great way to kind of build trust and communication and culture within within the team. So anyone can do that starting right now with their core values. It might actually be an opportunity for some leaders to look at their core values and they might not really have them solidified as much as you do. So I know you 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 said you could talk all day about ESOP, which honestly, yeah. it probably could be its own episode and just talking mm -hmm. about the good, the bad, the ugly, everything. I think you shed some light for for some people because I know it seems like a lot of leaders say, yeah, ESOP, we have to do it and it's it's yeah. great, but it's good to also get the other side of it, which is some of the challenges that that you might face when going through it. And hey, it might not be the right decision for everyone to go through. So I think it's important to open up that dialogue and conversation. You obviously care about your people. You have all of these really cool programs. You develop your team. You do EOS, which is great. How do you decide what programs to implement? 
specifically, I mean, we can even dig into Dream Manager. You know, how how was that decision to have someone on your team go through certification, become a Dream Manager, and run that program in the organization? I think, in general, you know, it, it's it's great to have all the answers, right? It'd be great to just show up and and know exactly what you want to do. And you know, we talked about being open to pivoting and being open to the changes in the environment. So I think just as leaders, you need to be to be really open to changes in your business, to be open to changes with people and preferences and customers and things like that, where I wish I could tell you that, you know, I just sat back and, and came in and knew that, hey, this is what I wanted to do. But really, it comes through conversations like this. It comes through reading. It comes through, you know, discussions with people and with your network of, different different ideas that could be helpful. And I think when, when they come up and they're aligned with your mission, vision, core values, I think that's really the core of the decision. Clearly, there's the financial component to that. But when you have people who are fully bought in, and I'm not assessing that every single one of our people are, you know, living, breathing our mission, vision, core values, but that's where we're headed. When that happens, they're going to create results and, and you're going to create something really special. And being a part of something special is, has been something that's important to me, whether it's been on teams that I've been in and my family and business. And we spend so much time at work. So you know, eight hours, 10, 12 hours a day, not being able to be in a situation where you can create impact and where you can enjoy that journey and where you can have fun doing what you're doing. There's a lot of things that, that aren't that fun. There's tough decisions to make as leaders. And, you know, we have plumbers that are crawling into sewage pits, right? You could view like, hey, well, I'm not going to do that because that's not fun. Well, it's not so much about that every single thing that we do every single day is fun. It's about enjoying the journey being bought into the vision and having fun with that process of just continually getting better and, and getting to that spot. Right. So, you know, some of these decisions I would say are pretty easy, right? So the decision that, that we're going to invest, you know, a couple hours a month, one hour face to face with, with our people from our field employees, it's a pretty easy one, right? I mean, it's aligned with our mission, vision, core values. It's aligned with continual progress, with transparency. So those are pretty easy. And I think it's just through, through conversations, you, you make progress and you create a more positive future. The dream manager is a little bit different. It would be a failure for me not to credit Bob uh, for uh, kind of being the initial person for that. Now we had a conversation. He told me about it. I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Again, it's the, the thing that has gone really well for me at HB McClure is my personal mission, vision, core values is highly aligned with, with the mission, vision, core values here, right? And I think if, if you're in a situation where you don't feel like that's happening, you know, whether it's you as a leader or, or you as an employee, that, that's a really tough spot to be in. And, and I would encourage you to, to get into a spot where you feel like that is the case. But it, it has been the case for me and, and the dream manager is, is very aligned with, with my view of really anything's possible, right? So the idea of, of creating goals, I mean, you know, probably seems like I'm uh, embellishing this story, but 
when I was in fourth grade, I, I, there was a scroll in Mr. Robinson's class that we had to write down our goals. Um, and that was really the first time that it, and I don't want to say it, it didn't click for me then, but I had this goal of becoming a state champ in wrestling. And literally I had just started the sport then. I wanted to do that. I wanted to wrestle at Penn State. I wanted to be an engineer at Penn State. And there were several other things on that list. But then, you know, you fast forward and I, you know, still have that sheet. Several of those things actually happen. But when, you, when you're writing down your goals and you see them, that's really what has allowed me to, to be able to focus and, and kind of dream big. And, and this is really aligned with that. So I do it with my kids. And we had done some form of, of goal setting prior to that, but this is kind of a different framework to, to help those conversations continue. I think that that makes it easy and, and it's really an exciting process. Well, that's awesome that you're teaching your kids at a young age to write down their goals. There's even science that talks about writing down your goals alone. You're 42% more likely to achieve those goals simply by writing them down. Most people yeah. are not writing them down, let alone thinking about them. And so the opportunity to really talk to people about their dreams and what they want to do is is so impactful. And it sounds like you get to do that with the people that you work with. And you obviously, it's you can tell the passion that you have for the work that you do, which is amazing. And Thanks. when you have that kind of passion, it just spills over into your team. Your team knows. Like, they feel like, oh, Adam cares about me as an individual, which is important, especially because like you said, some of your guys are doing really tough work. They're not just yeah. sitting in an office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's... It's still a challenge with, I think, getting trust from, from all of your people just takes time, right? And eventually you'll be judged over your actions unless you're not showing up. But even I can show up to the office every day, but I can be holed up in my office for eight, 10 hours a day and I'm not seeing all of our people, right? So them judging me and my actions doesn't really matter because they're not seeing it. So you, you also got to be really disciplined as a leader to, to be out talking to your people and to, to really see what they're doing. I still need to get better at that and our people still need to get better at it. But there's no doubt that being genuine with, with your folks, and again, it's put it in different buckets, whether it's your work, your family, your community, but at the end of the day, it is, it is people that make all these things go and, and people matter. So it's pretty simple. Yeah. It's pretty simple when we break it down. We overcomplicate because that is what people do. <laughs> All right. Obviously, as a leader, you are always in growth mode, learning, developing, teaching. What is there a book, a podcast, a resource, an article? Is there something that you have read or, or uh, consumed in the past couple months that you found really helpful in your, in your leadership? Wow. Yeah, I mean, there's there's several things. So I don't know that I can point to just one here, but I've got a quick quote from, and, and again, I, I sound like a bit of a nerd here because, you know, wrestling's <laughs> been a really big part of my life. And, you know, I kind of go back to that a lot, you know, whether it's through coaching and the experiences with coaching kids and seeing how that impact looks. But uh, Kale had said, if you don't continually work, evolve and innovate, you'll you'll learn a quick and painful lesson from someone who has. I think as a leader, you, you've got to continually look at yourself and look at your business and challenge your business and work really hard to get better. So that's a quick quote that I think is really impactful. I mean, 
I actually just finished reading Atomic Habits, which is interesting because it talks, I, I it, it kind of challenges some of my views on goal setting, but I don't feel like it's necessarily a mutually exclusive proposition Mm-mm. where it talks about it's not so much about the goal that that is what's driving performance. It's about how the people actually run through that journey and how they're disciplined about showing up every day. And, and that's really the difference versus the goal. Because so many people have a goal of, say, you know, whether it's being a CEO or being a state champ in wrestling or an Olympic medalist or something like that. But typically only one, one or a group of people, you know, actually get the opportunity to do that. So is it really the goal? Well, it's, it's more so about how they go about putting themselves in the right environments and about being disciplined to continually work, evolve, and innovate. I think that we could talk at length for a couple of those, but I think that that's a pretty quick one. That's great. I love that. It is the process. It is about showing up every day. We never, there's no like finish line, right? Like you just keep going, you keep getting better, you keep growing. And what I love about some of the things that even you've said on this show is you've talked about ways that you have approached your team and you still say, I I could get better at that. I could get better at that. And so I think that's an important piece too, because we can always get better at the work that we're doing. And your team is lucky to have you as a leader. And I appreciate you taking some time to to chat with us about what you what you're doing over there, what you see as a good leadership and some of the some of the things that you're doing at the organization. You shared some really great resources for people to be able to take back and potentially implement with their teams, which is great. Yeah, well, thank you. And, and Kate, yeah, I really appreciate being here. And thank you for what you and, and your team at Foy Consulting is, is doing for our team as well. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope there was at least one idea from today's conversation that sparked your interest enough to take action to help you build a coaching culture and improve communication with your team. If you're interested in discovering how your team would rate the culture at your organization, we created a helpful resource. It's our free culture assessment. It'll only take about five minutes and you'll receive a customized report, which includes your overall culture score, as well as your score in each of the six immutable principles of a dynamic culture from Matthew Kelly's book, The Culture Solution. Get it at floydconsulting.com slash culture. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, lead with culture.